You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll conclude our study of the book of Job. Job was able to see through his suffering to the bigger purposes God had for him. When we come to understand God and his ways more, we'll be able to do the same. Let's get started. At the end of an amazing teaching series that we have been in, titled, What is God Doing? And we have literally been journeying through the book of Job. And so with this being our last Sunday in this teaching series, I want you to open your Bible or open the TWC app, and I want you to join me at the end of the book of Job, Job chapter 42, and I want to begin reading at verse number 10. This is the end of the book of Job. So now today we get to see how the story ends, not only for Job, but also for you and I. In Job chapter 42, beginning at verse 10, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All of his sisters and brothers and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all of the trouble Look at this, the Lord had brought upon him and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named uh, Jim, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Gemini. Uh, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hepuk. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing some of these names, but verse 15 goes on and says, nowhere in all of the land where they're found women, watch this, as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. I want to share as we close this teaching series and this in-depth study of the book of Job with this title, The God of the Comeback. Now, we have been journeying through the book of Job for the last eight weeks in this series called What is God Doing?, Because honestly, I don't think that there is a better book that we can be studying in the midst of everything that we've been going through as a country and as a community. The coronavirus, this pandemic continues to impact countless lives. I read a statistic the other day that said over the last couple of weeks, um, we've been averaging about a thousand deaths a day because of this virus. We also know that our country is still deeply divided along the issue of race, Uh, And it's even more interesting to me that what many organizations and even churches are deciding to do, many schools that have decided to either not go back or to go back, a lot of those decisions are even being drawn along kind of the racial fault lines of our country. And many people right now, more than ever, are asking the question, God, what in the world are you up to? This is why I believe that this is one of the greatest books that we can study and hear clearly from God from, and that's what we've been doing over these last eight weeks. 
And there's several things that we have learned throughout this teaching series that as we prepare to close it on today, we absolutely cannot forget. And I want to share some of them with you as I prepare to share this last important point from this amazing book. The first thing that we uh, have learned and cannot forget is that what happened to Job was not punishment, but instead it was actually a setup for his promotion. If you recall, we shared at the beginning of this teaching series that when God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This was not a punishment that God was in essence saying that I know that Job is so mature in his walk with, with me that Job will in essence remain faithful even in the midst of difficulty and frustrating times. And I shared with you that the book of Job is the oldest actually, historical uh, data suggests it is the oldest written book of the Bible. And I believe that that's purposeful because I believe that that was the message and the lesson that God wanted us to learn from the very beginning. He wants us like Job to remain faithful even in the most difficult of times. And so when he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It wasn't a punishment. It actually was a commendation. It was a setup for a promotion because God knew that Job, unlike any other characters, would be faithful even in the midst of the most severe difficulties. Is that your story? Can the same thing be said about you? Because that's one of the amazing lessons of this book that we can't forget. But the second amazing lesson is this. At our lowest and even during the most difficult of times, God is right there. That's what we see over and over and over again throughout this book. I'm reminded of the great historical theologian C.S. Lewis, who said that God whispers to us during our pleasure, but shouts to us during our pain. That's so true, that we see God shouting to Job in his suffering moments, and he does the same thing in our life. God is visible, he's real, and he is there even more so during the difficult times than he is during the easy days. We see that in Job's life. That's my testimony, and actually, that's your testimony as well. If you would take a moment and look back over the most difficult times, what you'd find is that in many ways, God drew closer to you. Many people talk about how they've gone through difficult experiences. We've talked about it a lot on our prayer calls, but how God just amazingly provides them a peace, that peace that passes all understanding. Well, that's God drawing close. Because in our lowest moments, in our most difficult and dark days, God is there. But then the other thing that we learned that also we can't forget, number three, is that God may not provide us with all of the answers. And truthfully, we don't need all of the answers to many of the questions that we lift up. What's most important is his presence. We looked on last week at when God really began to respond to Job because for much of the book of Job, Job is lifting up all of these questions and even hurling these accusations against God and God's silent. He's there, but he's silent. But then we saw on last Sunday that when God began to speak to Job, he didn't answer any of Job's questions. In fact, he had more questions for Job. But the, the most important verse of this book 
is in Job 42 and verse 5, where, where Job says, I had heard about you prior to this, but now my eyes had seen you. And we looked at even on last Sunday how Job even says to God, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth because it's clear that I need to stop talking and I need to learn to be silent, to be still, and to lean into your presence. So the truth of the matter is there are tons of questions that may go unanswered. I don't know why we as a country are going through this virus um, and dealing with this pandemic. I don't know. And honestly, I don't know if God will ever answer that question because that question is not the most important. What is most important, more important than any of the questions we've lifted up is God, we need your presence. Because if God brings his presence, his presence will provide everything that we need to handle whatever it is that we're facing. And so as we close this teaching series, the last important lesson that I believe God wants us to realize through the story of Job is that God always has a comeback in mind. You know, it's really interesting. There was um, an old writer by the name of Barbara Johnson who used to say in a variety of ways that we are Easter people, but we are living a Good Friday reality. And what she meant by that is that as Christians, as believers, our hope and we know the conclusion of the story is Easter Resurrection Sunday. But so often what our life feels like and maybe even looks like is, is the Good Friday, the Friday where they crucified Jesus. And we call it good now looking back on it. But at that particular time, if you would ask Mary or John or Peter or any of the other apostles, they would have said that it was everything but good. And so I believe that there's a lot of truth to her statement that we are Easter people, but so often we live a Good Friday reality because often that's what it feels like. It feels like Good Friday. It feels like times of difficulty. I mean, you look around, look at uh, all you got to do is open up the paper or online if you read the paper or turn on the news and you don't have to look hard to find Good Friday, painful, difficult experiences because they are the norm of, of our life's journey. But the good news of the story of Job is that even when we're wrestling with the Good Friday reality, Easter is right around the corner. We know Easter is the Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus got up and the story concluded with a comeback. Well, that's in fact the same thing that we recognize with the story of Job. This is why at the end of Job's story, God provides a comeback. See, God had a comeback in mind the entire time. But what Job went through was purposeful because of what God was doing in him. And that's been the same thing for my story, and it's also the same thing for your story. You know, when I think back on my own life, some of the most dark and difficult times were the times that I experienced God the most. And they were also the times that actually set up some of the greatest comebacks that God has ever brought about in my own life. You know, I want to tell you a couple of stories to illustrate this point. As I was preparing for this message, I wanted to share this message with you in a different way, in a very personal way, because when I think about some of the, the darkest, most difficult moments of my life or my family's life, it's very personal to me. For an example, 
I was reflecting as I've been teaching this series. I've been reflecting on what it felt like and what we went through when we first moved to Birmingham 15 plus years ago. We moved to Birmingham 15 years ago and we moved here not to plant a church. I actually moved here because I was selected to succeed uh, a pastor, a great man, Dr. Samuel P. Pettigrew, who had been pastoring a historic church here in the city uh, for 35 plus years. And he was preparing to retire and he had chosen me to be his successor. And uh, that was great in the beginning, but the last thing that he wanted to do was in a very um, vision-oriented way, God had shown him the changing landscape of the city. And so he wanted to move the church um, into an emerging area. And it was amazing, it was full of vision, it was exciting, but unfortunately there were uh, a faction within the church that just didn't want to change. They um, didn't want to move, uh, they didn't see any possibility in that. And so uh, a very, very contentious battle broke out between this group and uh, Pastor Pettigrew and the people that desired to follow his spiritual leadership. And I had never encountered that kind of fight, particularly in the body of Christ. It was very hurtful. It was very disappointing to see people who I thought uh, really, really loved Christ and lived for Christ and people that I loved deeply and cared about because I was ministering to them on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis on Sunday and on Wednesday to behave the way that they behaved. And because they saw me as Pastor Pettigrew's guy, which I was, uh, some of their uh, anger towards him, they turned on my wife and I. And that was a very, very dark time for us. My wife and I left everything that we knew behind in South Florida. And uh, even many of my wife's family members even questioned why in the world would she leave her dream job behind to follow a man to Birmingham of all places where we didn't know anybody and we didn't have any family. And I remember that things got so bad that um, the week leading up to Christmas, it actually was a couple of days before Christmas, this group um, that were dead set against the church moving and they were kind of uh, antagonistic towards Pastor Pettigrew and myself, they had hired an attorney and the attorney took legal action against me and they sent a certified letter in the mail and the certified letter uh, showed me how I was fired. And so can you imagine my wife and I are newlyweds, um, we're going into our first Christmas as a married couple, and days before Christmas, I get a letter in the mail saying that I've been fired and I no longer have a job. It was a dark, dark, dark time. And I remember shortly after Christmas, Pastor Bettigrew pulled me aside and he said, I believe that you ought to start a church. And he said, and I'm gonna be your first member. And initially I was thinking, what in the world are you talking about? We didn't come to Birmingham for this. We came to succeed you, support you, et cetera. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I believe that this is the will of God. He says, I'm gonna retire from this church. He said, but I believe that with all of the vision and the calling of God on your life, he said, I believe that your real future doesn't lie there. I, he said, I believe you're supposed to plant from the ground up. He said, and count me as your first member. Well, to make a long story short, Pastor Pettigrew retired several months later and the worship center was started. But I tell you that story because what we went through was some of the darkest experiences 
You know, I asked God questions like, God, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I was trying to love people and support them and follow the man of God and follow the vision. But yet we went through a difficult experience. But yet God always had a comeback in mind. Because if we hadn't gone through that dark experience, the worship center never would have been in existence. And you fast forward 15 plus years from that encounter and the worship center is now reaching people all around the world and we have multiple campuses across Alabama and books have been written and bestsellers and things of that nature. And so that's just an example that God always has a comeback. I'll tell you another story I remember, and I've been thinking about this as we've been journeying through the book of Job. I remember when we got ready to buy our very first building, when the church was launched, we were um, in a banquet hall for a couple of weeks, and then we moved into renting a seven-day Adventist church. And uh, we were growing so fast that the seven-day Adventist church politely asked us to go because we had kind of outgrown even uh, using their church. And so we didn't have the luxury to build. We hadn't even been a year old. And so we started looking for places all around the city to, to buy. And I remember that we came across a church that was um, moving out of their current facility to build a new facility. And I remember that when I pulled up on the parking lot and put my feet on the ground, I heard the Lord say to me, this is your church. I heard God say that as clearly as I'm talking to you this morning, the Lord said, this is your church. And so I, I got really excited and uh, kind of with the immaturity of Joseph, I just started telling everybody, this is, this is our place. And, and our elders and, and team, they were with us. And we were going in actually to meet with the pastor. And before we even got into the pastor's office, I told him, I heard the Lord. He says, this is our church. This is our church. And so we were all excited. And it was a real God moment because I'm declaring what thus says the Lord. And then we go in. We go in and meet with the pastor. And here's what he said. He said, well, I don't have to sell to you people. He says, in fact, I've already got a buyer uh, who's planning to buy the building and he's going to turn it into a school of music. Well, needless to say, we were devastated. We were devastated for a couple of different reasons. Devastated because of the racial reference, because yes, he was not a person of color. And so we were not quite clear on what he meant when he said that he didn't have to sell to you people. It didn't, didn't feel like it was positive. It felt like it was a racial jab. But then we were also disappointed because just moments ago in the parking lot, I told them what thus says the Lord, that this is our church. And so here we are having a door slammed in our face. And I remember when we left that day, first of all, I knew that while our board members loved me and were supporting me, at that moment, they were also questioning, did he really hear from God? And I then, in many ways, kind of went into a little bit of a deep, dark depression because I said, now, God, I know you spoke to me. Did I hear you right? You know, why would you say that? And then we go through that experience. And for the next subsequent months, we kept looking and kept looking all over the city. And it didn't matter what building we looked at. I was so discouraged, so down about it wasn't even motivated. And I had more questions for God 
than he actually even had answers for. He didn't speak. I didn't hear his voice during that time. And I just kept saying, God, why? Why would you speak to me? And I hear your voice clearly on one hand, but then now we're going through this and there's nothing. Well, a couple of months went by and I'll never forget, I was sitting in my office one day and that same pastor called me out of the blue. He called me and said this. He said, I want you to come back. Let's work out a deal for you all to buy this church. He says, because God has shown me that this is your building. And I said, well, what about the, the gentleman that was gonna buy the church and turn it into a school of music? Get this family. Here's what this pastor said. He said, we can't find him. He said, it's almost like this guy fell off the face of the earth because God always has a comeback in mind. So we bought that first building and uh, as they say, the rest is history. But when I was going through that dark period, did it feel good? No. Did I have a lot of questions for God? Yes. But now on the other side, when I look back, I see very clearly that God always has a comeback in mind. I'll tell you this last story. I knew from a very young age that I was called to write. And one of my dreams was always to have a best-selling book that impacted people. And I'll never forget the first couple of books I self-published and wrote them myself and literally typed word for word them on my computer and just dreamed that one day and prayed and fasted that one day God would touch a book that would go around the world and touch people for his glory. And I remember learning about what it takes to publish at that level. And I remember one of the lessons that I learned from a great man of God was that, hey, you need a literary agent. And so I did research about who are some of the top Christian literary agents in the country that could go in and fight for me with the big publishing houses so I could get a good deal and, and, and publish a great book. And I remember that God opened the door for me to connect with one of the biggest names at that time in the literary world. And I met with him and uh, flew all the way to the other side of the country and to meet with him and talked about the book and he was excited. And uh, I signed a contract, signed a contract for him to represent me and I wrote the book and sent it to him and I was happy and he sat on it. And, and a month went by and he never responded to any of my emails. Two months went by, he never responded. Three months go by. I mean, and that pattern continued month after month, week after week. I'm emailing, you know, have you been shopping the book? Um, has there been any word? Is there any interest from any of the big publishers for the book? And no response, no response. And that went on for a year. After the year passed, because our contract was only four year, I was released from the contract. And so after a year went by and I sent him a note and I just said, you know, I've been trying to reach you for a year. You've never responded. Our contract terms were only for a year. And so because the year is up, I'm ready to end the contract and go someplace else. He finally responded. And he said, yeah, I'm aware of that. And I said, why in the world did you sit on my book for a whole year? And here's what he said, I'll never forget it. He said, well, you don't have a big name and uh, you don't have high celebrity value. He said, so I just didn't feel like, you know, anybody would read the book. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I mean, I was heartbroken. And I said, now God, why? 
Would you open this door and allow this to happen? I didn't do anything wrong to my knowledge. What was this holdup all about? I had a whole bunch of questions. But remember, God always has a comeback in mind. Several months go by and there was a woman that um, God just ordained uh, for us to connect. And just randomly, she asked me in passing, she said, hey, whatever happened to the book that you told me you were working on several years ago? She said it was an amazing book. She said, whatever happened to it? And I told her the story of how I wrote it and Lear Agent sat on it. And she said, that, that doesn't make any sense. She says, let me make a few calls. She made a few calls and actually called the man who was the literary agent for Eugene Peterson, who translated what we call the Message Bible. This guy was um, in the middle of the United States in Montana someplace, and she told him about my book. And this guy was on his way to retirement. He had done well and uh, made millions and millions of dollars in the literary industry. And she just called him and told him about my book. And he called me and said, you know, I heard about your book. He said, I'm getting ready to retire. He says, but I, I want to make some calls on your behalf if you would allow me. He made a couple of calls and in less than a few days called me back and said, I've got a major publisher that wants to do a deal on your book. That book was The People Factor that ultimately became a national and international bestseller that has gone around the world a number of times. I tell you that story because God always has a comeback in mind. See, no matter how you feel right now, because I know I'm talking to you and the truth is your life may resemble the struggle and difficulty that we've been looking at with Job for these last several weeks. You may be looking around at the situation in your health because of COVID or the situation with your employment with, with uh, businesses that are closing their doors and uh, individuals who are, are transitioning economically because of how our economy has been impacted by this pandemic and so many other things. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what that looks like. It doesn't even matter what it feels like right now. God has a comeback in mind. He is the God of a comeback. If we will hang in there and trust him the same way that he restored Job, the same way that he restored me and all of those ways and those stories that I just described for you, guess what? He has the same in store for you. So now when we go back to the book of Job and read these chapters and these verses in particular in chapter 42, I want you to see yourself because this is the end that God has in mind for you, regardless of how it feels right now. So I'm going to go back to those verses and I want to read it, but I want your faith to reach up and grab it because this is the Easter Sunday resurrection day reality that God has waiting for you, even if it feels like Good Friday right now. It says that after Job had prayed for his friends because it wasn't even really about them. This was about him and God. It says, after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. You ought to reach up and grab that because I speak that over your life. All of his brothers and sisters and everybody who had known him before came and ate with him in his house and they comforted him. They consoled him over all of the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. That's, that's prosperity. That's breakthrough. That's increase. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. 
That's what God is going to do. Your ladder is going to be much greater than your past. There's nothing for you behind you. The greater is in front of you. And it says that he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys, and God also blessed his family. He has seven sons and three daughters, and his daughters have names that I mispronounced at the top of the message. But the main thing that I want you to understand is how God blesses him. And it goes on and says that after this, Job lived 140 years. Not only did God bless him in his family, not only did God bless him with his finances, not only did God bless him as it relates to how he looked in the community, but God also blessed his life. Every place where Job struggled, God blessed. And he blessed in a greater way than Job had been blessed before. That's the will of God for you. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Bishop, this sounds great, but how can you, how can you know that? You don't know exactly what I'm going through. You don't know how hard this series or uh, uh, this season has been as we've been walking through this series. You don't know. How can you say that God has a comeback in mind for me? I can say it because the comeback was accomplished through Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That word redeemed means to buy back. It means to restore to its original intent. That's the comeback. See, what Jesus was doing on the cross 2,000 plus years ago was not just restoring and redeeming you spiritually. He was restoring and redeeming everything about your life um, that God has intended. He was restoring and redeeming everything that the enemy was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He was restoring it. He was redeeming it. He was restoring it to its original intent that God had for you. That's why when Jesus is instituting Holy Communion with the disciples, and the Apostle Paul talks about this as well, he says, as often as you do this, to do it in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that he not only redeemed us spiritually, but he also redeemed and restored. He set up the comeback for every area of your life. And so I want you to prepare, if you're not already, gather your family, because in a moment I wanna release you to observe Holy Communion. Part of the reason that we don't have a guest today. Every Sunday, I've invited different friends to be a part of this message. And part of the reason that I didn't do it today was because the greatest guest that we could ever have to seal this message is Christ himself. And this bread that we use, the matzah bread, I've taught you that it is bumps, it's got lumps and bruises on it because it is a sign of how Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity, and that's true. But you know what? If this is the kind of bread that you have, when you look at this bread, I also want you to think about the bumps and bruises in your life, the difficult days, the challenging moments, the times when you're saying, God, what's going on? This bread also pictures that. But this is the body of Christ, and it was broken for you and I broken so that we can be restored, so that we 
can have a comeback. But then also, as you prepare to come to the wine, the blood of Jesus, I know that a comeback is certain for you because the blood covers all sins and all mistakes. There is nothing that you have done or could ever do that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. His blood accomplished that task for us. And so family, as you prepare to partake of Holy Communion, I wanna pray for us now, and then I wanna release you and your family to eat of the bread and the drink of the wine, the blood of Jesus. But as you do it, I want you to recognize and claim the comeback for every area of your family, for every area of your life in the name of Jesus. Let me pray and then I wanna release you to observe Holy Communion with your family and we're gonna to worship together and then we'll come back and we'll extend the formal invitation. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for you being the God of a comeback. That means that there is no problem, no mistake, no headache, no bump, no bruise that we can't recover from through the power of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, as we come to this sacred time of Holy Communion, that's what we remember. You told us to do it in remembrance of you, Lord. And so as families around the world are gathered around their table, around their mobile device, I pray, Father, that as they eat of your body and drink of your blood, that they would stand in faith knowing that you are the God of a comeback. Resurrection Easter Sunday morning is right around the corner for them, for our community, and even for our country. And we claim it now by faith in the mighty name of Jesus and all the people of God said amen. Well, family, we're going to worship for a moment. And while we're worshiping, I want to invite you and your family to partake of Holy Communion together. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.